Life Audio. You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today I have a very special guest, Ross Johnston. Ross Johnston is a revivalist who is the leader, a leader and a co-founder of California Will Be Saved. And we're going to get into what that is. It's really great. And Ross also was born by artificial insemination and grew up in a lesbian household with two moms. We're going to get into that as well. But first, a word from our sponsor. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Please welcome Ross Johnston. Hey, what's up, guys? Beckett, so excited to be here today and uh, just excited to chat and chat through our stories. It's going to be a great time. Yeah, and I, I want to get into California Will Be Saved but and, and what that's all about. But before we do that, let's start with your childhood. So tell what was it like growing up with two moms? Yeah, you know, the best way I like to explain it is you really don't know what you don't know. (laughs) And so what I mean by that is for me, it was normal, you know, from the moment I could remember my earliest memory, you know, until 16 years old, you know, having two moms was just the normal life, you know, getting picked up from school, going to baseball practice, you know, living life. And so for me, I didn't know anything outside of that. Now, I think one thing that I will mention as we, you know, start with the story is I like to explain it like this, that, you know, there is a design in mankind, right? And when you don't walk in that design, unfortunately, there's issues or there's trauma, there's pain that comes, which I know we'll get more into. But just to start from the beginning, for me, it was all I knew. It was my earliest memory till my latest memory. And that's all I knew in the first half of my life. And so what did the kids at school treat you differently because you had two moms? You know, what was really interesting, Beckett, is I think, you know, and I'm still kind of hashing this out even in my own heart and in my own walk with God, but I believe when it comes to the LGBTQ community, so much has changed in 10, 20, 30 years. And so, you know, growing up, I was born in 1994. So, you know, I was in school in the early 2000s, late, late to mid 2000s. And, you know, I never really got any pushback. I, I never remember being made fun of at all for it. And my friends knew, I mean, it's, you can't, you know, you can't not know, you know, I'm always getting picked up by either one, two of my moms. 
but nobody ever made fun of me. Nobody ever called it out. I, I don't even recall really even having many conversations in middle school or high school at all about it. So I know that might not be everybody's experience, but in regards to mine, there wasn't really any bullying or any conversation really at all. That's good. And so um, when did you realize that you're, what, how old were you when, when you realized your situation was different from most people's? Yeah, I don't remember the specific age that I had this conversation, but my mom sat me down at some point and she kind of shared a little bit of her personal story, which is ob- really is unique as I think about it more and more. But she shared her personal story with me, you know, how she began living a lesbian lifestyle. And then she just explained to me how I was born through artificial insemination. Now, obviously, I was, you know, 13, 14, 15, didn't fully understand or fully grasp it. But I did know, obviously, that it was different and unique. And so that's kind of the beginning uh, phase or the beginning part of the story where I began to understand, okay, the way I I made it to this world um, was a little bit different than probably everybody else around me. And I kind of started leaning into it, asking questions, and then just processing that in my own heart. Was it it kind of a, when your mother explained that to you, was it a traumatic experience for you? Or was it just kind of, you know, easy to digest that? Yeah, I mean, I don't remember having very strong emotions. Now, granted, a lot changed in the in that next year or two after that conversation because I wasn't a Christian yet. You know, I didn't know Jesus. Um, I didn't have any experience with the Holy Spirit or the Bible. It was just simply my mom sitting me down and explaining, hey, son, this is how you were born. You know, this is my life. This is how, you know, what your story looks like up until this point. So I didn't really have any trauma necessarily associated with that specific moment. But once again, as you get older, as I came to the Lord and I started processing different memories or different moments or thoughts or belief systems in my life, that's when I started to begin to see different seeds in my life that I knew were not healthy and were trauma and pain-based. And when you were hanging out with your friends or when you met their families and saw that they had fathers, was that, were you kind of wondering why, you know, you didn't have a father or was that, was there kind of like, what about me? Why didn't I get a dad? Yeah, totally. And I love that. I love this question because one thing that I do remember, you know, pretty clearly growing up. And let me say like this, I always make this clear when I, when I talk about my story and my mom, like my mom has been such a phenomenal mom to me. You know, she loved me. She took care of me. She provided for me. Even till this day, she's one of my monthly financial donors, you know, and, and she'll text me from time to time when she sees what I do. And she's like, go get them, son, you know. But the reason why I make that point is because, you know, growing up, I remember when I would go to my friend's houses and I would see them have, you know, their fathers their family. I actually spent so much time with my friends and their families maybe almost the same, if not more than my own household. And it wasn't because there was anything in my household that was so dire or, you know, we were there was such a, a pain in the trauma. It was more so I long for that father figure. I long for that connection in, into the fullness of family and what that looks like having brothers and sisters and mom and dad, et cetera. And so I remember having that feeling in me like, okay, I really like being here with my friends. I, you know, I really, I, I desire a father. I desire to have maybe more of an extended family, but I didn't obviously know how to get there. And I didn't really know what the root of that was, but I, I clearly remember that 100%. And were you exposed to any kind of religion as a kid? 
You know, I I can't remember ever hearing a, a worship song. I definitely never went to a church service. My mom says I went to one when I was like 12. I, I don't remember this. So either I did, either I didn't, or there clearly was not much of, a, of the Holy Spirit there, <laughs> one of the two. Um, but I don't remember ever going to church service, ever hearing a worship song. You know, nobody had ever shared the gospel with me. You know, I remember my, my so not my biological mom, but her partner at the time, her mom, which we would call my grandma, she was a believer to some aspect. Now, I was really young, so I don't know the fullness of that relationship with the Lord. But she would say the name of Jesus or talk about, you know, like, let's pray or let's bless the food, things of that nature. But there was never any direct, like what I would say, like direct encounter with the presence of God. There was no revelation of Jesus. There was no, um, maybe there was some sort of knowledge, but definitely no heart connection or heart revelation. And so this raises the big question, how did you come to faith in Christ? <laughs> yeah, I remember, you know, I was 15 years old. It was the summer going into my junior year of high school. And, you know, just like most kids at that age, we're just trying to figure out like, who am I? You know, you're, you're figuring out identity for the first time. You know, you're kind of understanding the world and how things work and college is on your mind. I was a big sports kid growing up. So I played baseball full time. And I just remember in that season, a really good friend of mine, it was her and her grandma, they would go to this Sunday morning service. And so I just remember, uh, I don't remember if it was text or in person, but I somehow got an invite um, to this church service. And I said, sure, like, why not? I'll go. You know, my mom wasn't, you know, our family wasn't anti-God or, or anti-religion. It just wasn't a conversation in our household. And so I said, sure, I'll go. My friend picks me up. I go to the Sunday morning service. You know, I don't remember any uh, any crazy dream or prophetic vision happening. I just remember sitting in that service. And for the first time in my life, I felt the presence of God. And for me, what that tangibly felt like was like, oh my gosh, like I have value. I am, I actually was created with a purpose. There is actually, you know, a God who cares for me and I believe he's real. And so here I am in this church service feeling all these things, feeling love, feeling peace, feeling joy, feeling destiny. And I remember going home that night and just in my room, you know, I didn't really know what it meant to have a conversation or communion with God, but that's what I was doing. And in my heart, I was crying out saying, God, I believe, but I don't even know what I believe. You know, I believe because I felt your presence and I know you're real. But what does this look like for my life? And so sure enough, after a few nights of doing that in my room and just encountering the tangible presence of God, the next time I went to church, I just remember kind of raising my hand when they said, you know, does, does anybody want to give their life to Jesus? I raised my hand. I prayed a confession of faith. And then from that moment on, I was like, I'm a Christian. And so that's kind of how that experience took place. Praise God. I don't know if you know much of my story, but the, this similar thing happened to me. Hmm. The very I was invited to an evangelical church in Hollywood um, wow. in 2009. And, you know, I just kind of was like, why not? You know, yeah. and I so I went and the very first time at this at church, God, you know, after the sermon during the worship time, God revealed himself to me. And wow. it was like, Oh my gosh. It was like a road to Damascus. Like, like the Holy spirit just flooded me and, and I was bawling and bawling and bawling. And, and then it happened again when I got home, uh, after the service, I got into bed cause I was so just freaked out by it all. And God's like, here's some more of my glory. And I just was like, burst, I burst into tears and jumped out of bed. And I was like, God, you have my whole life. I'm done. I'm yours. Like, that's it. So I love, I just, I so, love that God does that when, you know, when you step out like that in faith, like he, 
he meets you there and like that and just the fact that he did it on the first time like i went to and you went to the service like is amazing we'll be right back after this short break what impacts you every day there is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Yeah, I'm so grateful. I mean... You know, it just proves that, you know, truly he has chosen us and it's just a matter of time until yeah. we choose that, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what really stands out about the story is it was the first time, one touch, one moment, one ounce of his love or of his glory that becomes tangible to the human heart. And all of a sudden we're awakened and, and we can see Jesus to some capacity that we've never seen before. I always say that everyone's an atheist until they meet Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so good so good so wait how did you so after this experience and after you you know gave your life to christ how did you what was the conversation like with your mom your moms yeah. um how did you tell them what was their reaction well i mean a few things that i remember really vividly is first off i was 15 at the, at the time so guess what I couldn't drive. <laughs> so my mom would actually take me from our house, drive me to church. It's about 30 minute drive. Was It wasn't super local, super close. She'd come back home, then come pick me back up and take me back home. So, you know, first off, my mom was definitely like, you know, maybe in her own personal heart, she wouldn't say I'm surrendered to Jesus and, and want to pursue Jesus. But she loved me so much that she's like, this is my son. This is what he wants to do. Like, I'm going to support him in that. You know, I mean, the second thing I remember is, you know, granted, I had just gotten saved. I had no clue what it mean to, you know, what it meant to defend the faith or to even like really share the fullness of the gospel. I was still like in my own heart trying to figure that out, you know, and I don't really remember having too many conversations with my mom. It was kind of one of those things where it was like, hey, I support you in this, but like this isn't for me. This isn't, you know, I don't pursue Jesus. I don't profess Jesus, but I, I love you as a son. So I'm going to, you know, if you want to go to church camp boom, you can go. You know, if you want me to take you to service, you know, I'll take you to service. Now, at the same time, you know, that's just the natural, right? I think so many times we also need to, we need to consider the fact that as the natural things are happening, there's things happening in the spiritual realm too, you know? So for me, it was like, I was going to church, I was encountering the presence of God for the first time in my life. And then all of a sudden, as soon as that service ends and I'm in the car and then I'm back home, now my life and my body and my and my spirit is awakened to the reality of the spiritual realm. And so it was like these two worlds, like during the week, it just felt like heavy and like, 
man, I'm, I'm in such a, I'm in such a struggle and I'm in a family who doesn't know the Lord. And then I'm at church and it's like fire of God, you know, presence of God is just <laughs> his love, his joy, his peace. And so it was such a interesting uh, divide, so to speak in the spirit, because everything in the natural, nothing really changed outside of me going to a church service and becoming a Christian, which obviously is a massive step, but in the spirit, all of a sudden I started, I could just sense and pick up on things and God was refining my heart and speaking to me. So that that week was so incredible. Last thing I'll share too, Beckett, about that week that I got saved is that week, my mom and her partner who had been together for about, you know, 13, 14 years at that time, they actually split up that week. And so it was just a it was just a crazy time. You know, I'm, I'm getting saved. I'm encountering God for the first time. You know, my mom and her partner are having issues. You know, I have a younger brother who's uh, three years younger than me. And so whew, it was it was just a mixture of, of things happening in that week and in that moment. Wow. Wow. And so. How long did it take you? I mean, obviously, you probably started reading the Bible right away, I'm assuming. And then how long did it take you to understand biblical sexuality and marriage? You know, and I always want to be so careful with language, right? Language matters so much, right? The power of life or death in the tongue. But one thing that, I, that I'll share is, you know, God's sovereignty upon my life was just so unique. And and what I mean by that is obviously God is sovereign over every person's life. He desires none would perish and he wants all to know him and his son. However, for me, it almost was like before that church service, it's like I kind of already believe these things, though I didn't ever think about them or talk about them or have anybody tell me about them. So it's like as soon as I got saved, I was just like, yeah, like this is sexuality, (laughs) you know, like this is marriage, you know, This is the design of God. This isn't, you know, this is G like, it was kind of like, I felt like I already knew it though. I had never read it or ever had a revelation on it. It it was so unique. And so for me, I didn't really have this process of like, okay, God, I need you to sit me down and I need to understand why homosexuality is not your design. Okay, God, I need you to sit me down and explain why marriage is between a man and woman. Like I never really had those thoughts. It was just like, yeah, this is truth. This is reality. Here's my experience. And, and, but at the same time, I know that my experience wasn't the truth. It wasn't the design. So I know that doesn't really give like a, a full context of an answer, but that's kind of the, the, what was happening in my heart and in my mind in that moment. It was just like, this is the truth. Like, amen. Yeah. It just felt so simple to me. The same thing happened to me. So when I had the second encounter with God in my bedroom and I, you know, I was like, God, you have my whole life. I knew immediately that. Um, cause I, you know, I was living as a gay man for 20 years and, or whatever, I don't know how long since high school. And, uh, and I just knew immediately, I knew that that was not God's design. That was no longer a part of my future that, but I didn't care. I was just like, I just met Jesus. Like, I'm going to go with him, forget yeah. that old life. So, um, I, it's the same thing. Like, I just, I just knew immediately it was like crystal clear. There was no kind of process. There was no like, you know, researching it. It just, I just knew. So the Holy Spirit, I mean, God had so much grace on both of us. Yeah. Amen. And I'm just so grateful for that because I'm not saying the process is wrong, but it's like, it allowed me to just kind of pick up from zero and go to a hundred, you know, real quick. (laughs) And and I'm so grateful for that and just so grateful for his grace and the spirit. And I mean, what does your mom think about your beliefs now? With in yeah. terms of in terms of sexuality, yeah, I mean, you know, I've had in the last year or two, I've had you know some great conversation with her, and just to give some quick context, you know, I think it's important. I, I come to the Lord right at fifteen, you know, I'm in that I, I start serving in the high school ministry, 
you know, and then I graduate high school and I go to college and I was only a believer for about a year and a half. And I go all the way, you know, it wasn't super far, but from Los Angeles where I grew up to school in San Diego, I kind of just uprooted from that because I still didn't really understand how to fully hear the voice of God and discern where he was taking me. So I, I graduate from college with a business degree. I start running some businesses. I was in the fitness space. And in that time, I actually walked away from God, Beckett. Like I actually chose because I didn't have the money I wanted. I didn't have the girlfriend I wanted. I didn't have the house I wanted. It didn't look like how I wanted it to look. I didn't renounce my faith, but I just said, you know what? We're going to put this on pause. I'm just going to try to make money, you know, try to build a business so that I can have a secure future. And then God, I'll kind of add you back in at some point, you know? Mm. So the reason why I bring that point up is because then it comes to 2020. I'd been living disconnected from intimacy with God for about three, four years. And with all the tension happening in 2020, I remember the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, Ross, if you don't stand now, you never will. And I knew in that moment that this was not, for lack of better language, this was not like a daddy God type of moment. (laughs) This was like a stern father saying, son, I have your best interest in mind. It is time for you to be a man and understand what that means and to step up to the plate of who I've called you to be. And so I come back to the Lord in 2020. Now, granted, my mom... She sees me get saved. She sees me go to college. And now she sees me after college. And, you know, you can tell when somebody isn't walking in intimacy with God. Their language changes, you know, yeah. their demeanor changes, the things they pursue and talk about change. So my mom knew there was something going on, though we never talked about it. And then all of a sudden I come back to the Lord. And now here I am traveling America, you know, in the nations of the earth preaching the gospel. And so I, I share all that context because the, the storyline is a little bit different than what most people might even know or see just from watching social media. And so here we come into 2023, I'm having these conversations with my mom and she's just like, what happened? You know, or like, where are you, where are you at? And I just share what I just shared with you. And I just kept it real with her. I mean, you know, during the time of since I've gotten saved till now, she's had multiple different people that she's been in relationship with, you know, none of them have worked out. And I just, I just keep it honest with her. I'm like, mom, like, you know, why, what's holding you back from coming to Jesus? And she simply told me that she she enjoys the lifestyle that she lives, not just homosexuality, but the things outside of that. And so that's kind of the the main you know point, I think, to answer your question. Of course, if you want to go deeper, we can. But that's kind of the context and, and where the conversation is kind of left off at this moment. So when when God told you to, you know, what were the words he said? What was it? Yeah, the Holy Spirit said, if you don't stand now, you never will. And was that so? Were you, was that scary? A scary thing for you to kind of step out and and quit your your job or quit your jobs or whatever businesses? Yeah. And and was that scary for you? It wasn't scary because I knew that that was what I was created for, and that the past four years of my life I was simply running away from it. Like I knew when God spoke that to me, it was His. Uh, you know, I want to be careful with language, but it felt like a final invitation to the call of God on my life. Now, I know that might break some people's theology boxes. The point I'm trying to make with it is this. There's certain moments and seasons in our lives where God speaks to us and gives us an invitation and an opportunity. And because he's so good and he can't break his nature, it's a choice that we have. And we can choose no. And we can say, you know what? I don't want that. So in that moment, I knew that was an invitation for me. I had no clue what was going to happen. I had no clue that the pandemic was going to get as crazy as it was going to get. I had no clue that, you know, I would preach one day. Like I was just in my room simply saying, my life is not right. I am not living for God. I'm stuck in sin. I'm in darkness. I'm in bondage. I'm all about myself. And your presence, God, that I've tasted and encountered in the past, I don't have that in my life. And I want that back. And that's simply what happened in that moment. Wow. Yeah. I mean, in 2013, God it was so it was such a strong uh, kind of pull on my heart god was calling me to seminary 
Wow. And I was a pr- production designer at the time. And I, I just was like, God, how am I going to do, I mean, how am I going to work and go to seminary full time? And, um, and I got, you know, one of my pastors prayed with me uh, at this prayer meeting. And he said, after he prayed for me, he said, Beckett, I, th- I think that God's going to pay for your seminary and that's going to be confirmation you're supposed to go. And I'm like, what? I'm like, how's that going to happen? Yeah. Not to four years later, you know, God paid for everything and semin- I didn't pay any tuition or any like for books, anything. And um, so, yeah, when God calls you to do something, he and you walk in obedience, he he provides for you like he blesses you. He'll he'll, he'll provide whenever you you know, follow his, whenever you're obedient to him. 100%. So let's talk about uh, California will be saved. What is it? How did it start? Where did you get the idea? Obviously from God, but what, how did this all come about and what is it? You know, when it comes to what is it, I think I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> right. You know, me, me and my friend Joel, who co-lead the ministry, we call it the great experiment. Like, seriously, you know, and I'll, I'll explain some context on that. So 2020, I come back to the Lord. You know, I'm living in San Diego and I'm just start. I start to burn again for God. I'm just like, God, I want your presence. I'm in the word. But my next thought was, and this is a thought that I've had ever since I can remember, especially because of my family dynamic. God, I need a people. I need a community in my life who I'm relationally connected to, who is pursuing you and burning for you the same way that I am. And so I remember, you know, in 2020 in California, I think a lot of people forget it was crazy. Yeah, you know, (laughs) it was a wild place. You know, almost every church was shut down. Almost every ministry was shut down. But there was a few who stood in that in that moment of time. And I remember at the time there was these tent revivals happening in Orange County. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to go. So I showed up at this tent in December of 2020. It's led, they're, they're now my good friends, Jesse and Parker Green. And I remember I showed up to this tent. They're talking about revival in California. Now, remember, I just come back to the Lord. My heart's burning. I'm like, revival, revival, revival. They're talking about revival in California. I'm like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And that night, the person leading worship on the stage was a guy by the name of Joel, Joel Mott. And I remember I had just connected with him on Instagram. We had never met in person. We were never, you know, not didn't really have any communication. And that night, the Holy Spirit just said, like, you need to connect with him. So sure enough, that night, the leader of the ministry, Jesse, Jesse Green, she brings this guy, Joel, on stage. I promise there's a point to this story that connects with me. <laughs> he brings Joel onto the stage and she says, the Lord spoke to me about revival in California and what it's going to take. And he told me it's like Mary in the alabaster jar, that we have to be willing to give everything that we possibly can to the Lord. And so she said, Joel, the Lord told me to give you my brand new Jeep car brand new Jeep car. She brings the keys out. She puts them in his hand. Everybody's weeping in the tent. Joel's weeping. I mean, it was just such a surreal and holy moment. She says, Joel, you have a sound of revival that needs to be released across California. And you're going to need this car to travel up and down the coast. That same night. Yeah. That same night is my first time back in any sort of revival service. Before that happens, the Lord tells me I need to connect with this guy. Then I see this moment play out. After the event, him and I just chat, we connect, we start texting, start talking, and we're just like, bro, I'm burning for California, you're burning for California, like we got to do something. So we said, you know what, let's do a worship night. We do a small little worship night in San Diego at this small little chapel. The presence of God comes so tangibly that like 
we, we didn't even know what to do. We weren't planning on doing multiple events. We're like, we just got to do something. And then after that first night, we're like, we can't stop this, you know? And so sure enough, Beckett, after about six months of these once a month worship nights, we get a dream that comes to us. And, you know, the DNA of our ministry is, is Lou Angle. If you're not familiar with Papa Lou Angle, he's just somebody who's, you know, been praying and fasting for America, the ending of abortion and, and all these different things. And so his DNA just kind of kicks in and we get a dream and a vision that comes to us. And if there's anything we've learned, it's like, if the dream is from God, you have to do the dream, <laughs> you know? And so in this dream, we were at Huntington Beach and we were worshiping. The ground began to shake. You know, Jesus just casually appears in this dream and, and he speaks to us. And he said, he speaks to our friend. He says, do you hear the sound? And do you see what is coming? He says, the ground in California has been prepared. The battle has already been won. Now is the time for the reins of my spirit. And this massive tsunami wave tsunami wave crashes on the coast, symbolizing the presence of God. So we get this dream and we're like, oh my gosh, this, I mean, this has to be God. We show up at Huntington Beach in August of 2021. Now keep in mind, Becky, we had no ministry, no Instagram page. I never preached a day in my life. We were just a, a ragtag group of young adults just saying, we're going to do something for Jesus because our state, our world is in chaos and intention. And we just believe worship and the gospel is the solution. And so we show up at Huntington Beach. All of a sudden I look up, there's three to 400 people there. I'm like grabbing people. Like, are you real? Like, are these angels? Like, like, how did you hear about this? How did you get here? And so from that moment on, you know, after that night, it was just incredible. The presence of God was so tangible. You know, people walking on the boardwalk are getting saved and delivered and baptized in the ocean. People were coming up to me. They're like, Ross, how long have you been a pastor? I said, 30 minutes. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what to tell you. You know, what church is this? I'm like, I don't know what church this is. This is just multiple churches. This is just the body of Christ. And so long story short, after that, we decided to name it California Will Be Saved. And so what we do is we go to major cities of influence or anywhere the Lord tells us to go. We set up a sound system. We do live worship. Uh, we share the gospel. We pray for the sick. And then we baptize people in the ocean and, and plug them into local churches. And so our mandate is to take worship and the proclamation of the gospel outside the four walls of the church that we may see people saved, healed, and delivered and plugged back into the body of Christ. Do you ever get pushback from from people uh, at these, or, you know, like hecklers or anything at these events? <laughs> yeah, definitely have definitely had my fair share of, of you know, people. Um, you'll probably enjoy this one. We were on Hollywood Boulevard. Not the main <laughs> big event we did this year, but we actually did a smaller little pop-up event where we actually just showed up on Hollywood Boulevard right there on the Walk of Fame. And we just set up like two sound speakers and we're worshiping and praying and preaching. This guy is literally driving on Hollywood Boulevard. He stops his car. I kid you not. He hears the worship. He stops his car. He gets out. He doesn't come near us, but he just kind of starts mocking us. He's like throwing up hand signs. He goes back to his car. He puts on a tank top that literally says 666 Satan. First off, who has that just chilling in wow. the car? 666 tank top. <laughs> but he does, he gets out. He just starts taunting us. We, we just pray and, and we just go for it. Then we see another guy pull up like five minutes after him. He's literally doing witchcraft in the middle of the street, burning sage and wearing this like this cape. And it, it was just a whole thing. So we've had our fair share of people, but you know, the Holy Spirit's with us. God's got our back. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. But those are just some few examples of some fun things we've encountered. <laughs> and what do you, when when you go to these places, do you need to get like permission from the city, or do you just go and 
do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll say two things. Number one, we, we have the permission of heaven. <laughs> we have the great, <laughs> Amen. you know, we also have the amazing U.S. Constitution, which backs up, you know, religious freedom and expression in America. Like, praise God for that. But at the same time, we do try our best. We want to honor local officials and cities. We bless the police. We bless our government. And so in the beginning, though, I'll be honest, we were just showing up. You know, keep in mind, in that time, it was so crazy. It's like they weren't even giving out permits. They weren't. The city wasn't even communicating really with people. So we just showed up. We'd bring four to eight speakers and we're like, we're here to prophesy to this land that Jesus loves you. Jesus is king. You know, <laughs> um, now when we do our bigger events, we, we 100% get permits. But if it actually came down to it, I mean, I'm just being really raw and honest, like we're not going to stop. Like we bless the city. We're going to try our best to honor our government officials. But at the end of the day, it's like Daniel, you know, we don't bow to the kings of this world. We bow to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so we're going to honor people. We're going to love them. We, we understand their position. But when it comes to worship in the gospel, one, we have the U.S. Constitution. And then two, we have the heavenly constitution. <laughs> yeah. And the the apostle like Peter and, and Paul, like the apostles that like get beaten and tortured and thrown in prison. And then they're, they're told not to, you know, talk about this Jesus guy. And then they immediately yeah. get out and start talking about him again. So it's yeah. like. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So before we close, give us a couple of interesting stories of, you know, salvation or whatever from these events. I mean, man, there's obviously so many, but there's a few that stand out to me. I mean, number one, I remember we were uh, doing an event in Santa Monica, right there on the grassy area, close to the pier. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the worship starts, we're about five minutes into the gathering. All of a sudden I see this guy like full sprint, like kind of near the stage. So I'm kind of thinking like, is this about to like take out one of our band members, you know, <laughs> but he, he's in a full sprint and I see him. He ends up talking to one of our leaders um, that's a part of our, our ministry and a part of our team. So I'm thinking, OK, like, oh, they're fine. No worries. Then I look over again and this guy's getting baptized and it's like 10 minutes into the gathering. And so in that moment, first off, like, you know, there's usually a flow in services or a flow in gatherings. I'm like, OK, God, you're clearly doing something. This guy, the, the music started five minutes ago and he's already getting baptized. Like, this is incredible. So I go over to our leader at the end of the at the end of the gathering. I'm like, hey, like, what what was that? And apparently, you know, we can't fully confirm that he was a Satanist, but he had some shirts and some and some things on that were pretty satanic. And so what happens is apparently he full sprints to this team member. He didn't know this person was a team member. He just starts talking to our team member about just X, Y, and Z going on and on. Our team member shares the gospel. He says yes. He gets into the baptismal tank that we have. He takes off his demonic emblems and T-shirts and everything, gets baptized, and then joins the gathering. And he's in the front row the rest of the night worshiping, going crazy. Clearly, you know, he's so brand new. He doesn't fully know what's going on. But the joy of the Lord is on him. He's saved. He's delivered. He's healed. So that's the first story that stands out. Whether he wow. was a full-on Satanist or just really heavy into demonic oppression, he got saved baptized and delivered in the first 10 minutes of the gathering. And then he starts worshiping with us right there on the spot. Wow. You know, um, another story that stands out, it isn't a specific story. It's kind of just a corporate story, but we, we shut down Hollywood Boulevard, which is a whole testimony in itself. And we preached the gospel. We had 115 documented salvations on Hollywood Boulevard in front of the Chinese theater, in front of the walk of fame. We have 35 baptisms and over 10 to 20 churches represented. Close to 2,000 people came out for that gathering. I mean, that's just a testimony of the unity and the power of the church. And Beckett, I like to say it like this because are you, are you still in California, Beckett? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in West Hollywood. 
perfect. So I like to say like this, the church of California is not dead, but surely alive. And so that was a testimony in the moment right there where people, you know, right off California, right off Los Angeles say it's so dark. It's so this. And I'm like, no, like the church is alive here. Um, And I think the last story I'll share, you know, that kind of resonates with me is I'll never forget this, that our first gathering ever at Huntington Beach, we do the altar call. We preach the gospel. I look to my left and I see this guy. I could tell he wasn't with us. I walk up to him and I'm like, hey, what's going on? He looks at me with tears in his eyes. He goes, I was walking on the boardwalk. I'm drug addicted. I'm alcohol addicted. My wife and I are struggling in our marriage. I heard what you guys were said. Like, what do I do to get saved? It was like a, a chap, you know, Acts chapter three or four, yes. whatever that's at. It's like, what must I do to be saved? You know? And so he gets saved. He stands up. He looks at his wife face to face and repents for everything he had done wrong in their marriage and then gets baptized that night. You know, there's so many more stories I can go wow. on with, but those are just a few that uh, really resonate and stand out to me. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, so, okay. So how can people uh, get in touch with you? Yeah, great question. You know, social media is like the language of our generation and <laughs> one of the languages of our generation. And so if you go like on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and you just type in Ross Johnston, or you type in California will be saved, you'll see our ministry page, you know, send me an Insta- send me a DM. Uh, send me an email. That's typically the best way to get in contact. I'm, I'm really heavy on social media. So you'll see all our events coming up and everything else. And so that's the best way to connect. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ross, for coming on the show. God bless your ministry. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Beckett. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you guys for watching and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Thank you to the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find more faith-centered podcasts about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. I found myself on a ledge, three stories high, at some condominiums, contemplating my life and struggling to understand my purpose. Have you ever found yourself on the ledge? My name is Billy Yant. I'm a caring father, mentor, and friend. In my new podcast, Billy and the Goat, I share the life-changing events that shaped who I am today to remind you that no matter how far you've fallen, God can help you get up and thrive. Listen now at lifeaudio.com.